First Thessalonians chapter 3 is an encouragement to persevere. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor should be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live. If you stand firm in the Lord, for what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Sin and Judgment from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. How is it that persevering until the end has anything to do with understanding sin and the judgment of God? Well, if we do not endure until the end, then we are sinning and we shall experience the wrath of God. This is why he is concerned for souls. He's concerned for souls that they might persevere until the end. Persevering in the faith, keeping the faith, fighting the good fight of faith, so that their souls may be saved. Those who turn back, those who fall away, those who apostatize, they were never believers in the first place, and they go to hell. No matter what they think, no matter what they say, no matter who it is they're following, if they retract, if they go back, if they backtrack, they go to hell. The Apostle Paul understands this. That's why being a kind and loving, concerned apostle, he wants to know about the welfare of the Thessalonians. He's not with them, but he has heard that afflictions have come to them. And whenever afflictions come, persecutions, difficulties, hardships, trials, whenever they come to people, that is when the real test occurs. Will they persevere? Will they endure? Will they remain steadfast? Or will they go back to their old ways? Will they go back to the world? 
Will they go back to their old friends? Will they go back to their old sins? As a dog returns to its vomit, so is a fool who repeats his folly. Proverbs 26, 11. The apostle understands it, and this is why whenever he hears of trouble with the saints, he is concerned. He shows it beginning at verse 1. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. The apostle and the others, the other missionaries, had heard that in Thessalonica there were troubles, there were uprisings, there were persecutions. And then because he heard that, he wanted to make sure that these people did not resort back to their old ways, to their old life, that they continued in the faith and stayed strong. So he sent a faithful messenger. He sent a faithful companion, a faithful friend, Timothy, our brother, God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. Timothy being faithful, Timothy being strong, Timothy being an encourager, he was sent to the Thessalonians on behalf of the Apostle Paul to strengthen and encourage as to your faith. Faith needs to be strengthened. It needs to be built up. It needs to be fortified. It needs help. It cannot stand alone. It needs one another. In this case, a faithful, godly Timothy to be sent to them so that they might not lose heart. The Apostle Paul, he underwent many afflictions. We have barely, barely undergone any of these. And in the midst of his afflictions, he wasn't introspective. He wasn't saying, woe is me. He wasn't saying, well, when is it going to get better for me? He wasn't thinking like that. He was concerned for others. Even when he was in trouble, he was still concerned for others. Just as he is explaining in Thessalonians, he says this in 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11, 20-33. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 20. For you bear with anyone if he enslaves you, if he devours you, if he takes advantage of you, if he exalts himself, if he hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison, but in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness, I am just as bold myself. Actually, you get the gist that the apostle is being sarcastic with the Corinthians because the Corinthians are looking at things in a worldly way. They see worldly wisdom as wise, God's wisdom as foolishness, and he's turning it on them. He starts to do it in verse 16. From verses 16 to 21, he's being sarcastic with them and turning things around. So now he explains his afflictions 
verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have spent in the deep, I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from false, among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord, of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the ethnarch under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands. Paul underwent much affliction, but still he says in verse 28, apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. Why? 29, who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? He doesn't want the Thessalonians either to be led into sin. Apostasy, going back to the world, going back to one's vomit, is sin. And there is a severe judgment for doing so. Then, back to First Thessalonians 3, 3. Why is it that these things happen? He says, 3, 3, For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. We have been destined for this. This is the way it's supposed to be. There is no accident. Nothing is out of control. God isn't busy in some other part of the world or universe. He knows what he's doing and he destined us for this. It's supposed to be this way. This is the way of the Christian life. This is what people should understand at the outset whenever they hear the gospel. If any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Luke 9:23. This is the way it is from the very beginning that we must understand that whenever we believe in Christ sufferings are ordained for us. Acts chapter 14 verse 22 says, 
through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. This is the way it's supposed to be. It's ordained. It's destined to be this way. Philippians 1.29 calls it a gift. It's a gift to suffer. Philippians 1.29 For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him but also to suffer for His sake. Granting belief or granting faith is a gift. Faith is a gift from God to the elect. But also suffering is a gift of God to the elect. Both are given at the moment of conversion. Faith and sufferings go hand in hand. There is no true gospel if it is not preached that way. So comfortable Christianity is unbiblical. Peace and prosperity in the superficial religi- uh, religious sense that is false Christianity. Health and wealth guaranteed is false Christianity. Living a hedonistic life, a life of ease and en- entertainment, constantly from one entertainment to the next entertainment, is a false Christianity. We are destined for sufferings. If we're not suffering for preaching the true gospel, then we're not preaching the true gospel. The true gospel entails teaching people to suffer for the sake of righteousness, to suffer for the name of Christ, to suffer for the sake of the gospel of Christ. They go together. That's what he means by saying we have been destined for this. Verse 4, For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know. When he was among them, he was telling them, constantly telling them, that afflictions will come. Afflictions are ordained. Afflictions are predestined in the Christian life. He was telling them again and again and again. Just as Jesus said in Mark chapter, or or Luke chapter 21, verses 16 to 19. Luke 21, 16 to 19. That in advance he told us that we will be hated by all on account of Him. By perseverance, you will win your souls. He said things like that in advance, before it actually happened. Peter says the same. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter 4.12. 1 Peter 4.12. To 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, 
keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. He tells us, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. There should be no startled. There should be no surprise that we suffer if we do what is right, if we live for the name of Christ. The sufferings of Christ are also ours. Verse 5, 1 Thessalonians 3, 5. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor should be in vain. This is why he sent Timothy to encourage them and to find out how they're doing. And when he says that the tempter might have tempted them, who is the tempter? Who is the tempter that he means here in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 5? Well, he gave us a hint already, or indication already, earlier in chapter 2, verse 18. 2, 18, he says, Satan thwarted us. Satan thwarted us. Then, we also find, we find in chapter, uh, Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Luke 4, 1 to 3. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led about by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days while tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. He is the tempter, Satan, the devil. He is. Peter says, 1 Peter 5a, Be sober of spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. If the Thessalonians had gone back, had gone back to their old friends, to their old life, to their old wicked ways, Satan would have been victorious over them. Satan would have been successful in devouring their souls. That's what he means. 1 Thessalonians 3:5 that he would have, they would have labored for so long, for so many years, so many hours with the Thessalonians, but then most or all of the Thessalonians might go away, fall away, and follow Satan. He didn't want that to happen. He was very concerned that that might happen. That's why he sent Timothy to encourage them to persevere. He did not want his labor to be in vain. Verse 6, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. 
For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now, we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Timothy returned with good news. They were keeping the faith. They were fighting the good fight of faith. They were also loving one another. They were thinking kindly of the apostle. They didn't become a basher, a hater of the apostle Paul. He has had his haters from his own lifetime after his conversion until his death and throughout the centuries, millennia, for 2,000 years, the Apostle Paul has been hated, despised by most people in the world. Those outside of Christianity, and even the majority within Christianity, they despise the doctrine, the gospel of the Apostle Paul, which is the gospel of Christ. They despise it. They will seek to undermine him, ignore him, reject him, as much as possible. And yet they weren't doing that. The Thessalonians, he says, you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. This is true fellowship. Desiring to be in one another's presence, to learn of one another's faith, to grow in the faith, to encourage each other, to admonish each other, to pray for each other, to know about what to do to strengthen the faith of one another. And when we go through afflictions and we hear about the strong faith of others, what does it do for us in our afflictions? Verse 7, For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. When those in distress hear about the strength of others, it encourages those in distress to persevere through that distress, to overcome it. He says in 8, For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. He's saying this is really life. This is what gives me joy in life, happiness in life, hope in life. I really enjoy the life I have When I see you, stand firm in the Lord. What will be said of us 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now? When we are thinking about the people we know, the people we did know currently, five, (coughs) ten years ago, and what is the situation in their life 20 or 30 years from now. Will they be standing firm in the Lord? Or will it be undiscernible to know the difference between our friends and the world? Verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now he's thanking God and he prays, he says, most earnestly to be able to see them again, to fellowship with them again, 
to not leave them alone, to fellowship with them and wherever they might lack faith, to build it up, to encourage it, to fill the gap. This is the way it is. They may lack faith, we may lack faith in certain areas. And when we are with each other, we discuss the things of God, and that gives opportunity to help one another strengthen the faith of each other. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father, Himself and Jesus our Lord, direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we also do for you, so that He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. This is a brief prayer. He says they've been praying. Well, this is the content of a prayer. He says, Now may our God and Father Himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. Only by God's will will true growth, true fellowship, true edification occur. So he prays and asks God to direct their way back to the Thessalonians. And then, meantime, may the Thessalonians, verse 12, may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all. In turn, the Thessalonians should increase and abound in love. They should increase. They have some faith, but they must grow in faith. They have some love, but they must grow in love. He says as well in chapter 4, chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. 4, 9. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. They are loving each other, but it's not supposed to remain stagnant. It's not supposed to be still, but it's supposed to be moving. It should be excelling to abound in this kind of love for one another. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, in reference to holiness, because that holiness is also an aspect of loving one another. 4, 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk, And please God, just as you actually do walk, that you may excel still more. They are walking and pleasing God, but there's a long way to go. And so they must excel still more. This is a kind of prayer that we should be praying for all of us, that the faith that we have may increase and abound. 
And then it's got a twofold application in terms of groups of people. For one another, love for one another, and for all. One another means the brethren in the church. For all includes those outside the church. First those in the church, and then those outside the church. Because this is the sphere of the application of love. In the small circle that is in our church first, and then a bigger circle, those outside in the world. Of course, he's assuming we're doing so in our families. He's not talking about families because as husband and wife, it should be there first and then with the children and then expand to the relatives and from there to the church and also then into the world to all others. It should not be distorted. It shouldn't be the outer circle first, the inner circle last. That's not the way it should work. It should be inner circle first, outer circle last, in terms of priority. That's the way he's presenting it, for one another and for all. Galatians 6.10, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Those in the household of the faith, especially to them, first to them. And the goal, verse 13, that God may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. The goal is to pursue perfection, to be unblameable. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We must strive for that goal. He says here, to be unblameable in holiness before our God and Father. Hebrews 12, 14. Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Without sanctification, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. They will see Him, but He's not talking about whether you're going to see Him or meet Him on the Day of Judgment. He's meaning see Him favorably, such as 1 John 3. 1 John chapter 3. 3, 1 to 5. 1 John 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is 
lawlessness. And you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Jesus appeared to take away sins. He first pays the penalty for our sins, and then enables us by grace to overcome our sins through sanctification. And this sanctification comes to fruition when we see him, because when we see him, he says in verse 2, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. Which is the same statement being made in 1 Thessalonians 3.13. That we may be established, unblameable, in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. He is coming again. He is coming with all his saints. He is coming with his angels in flaming fire. And he is coming to transform us from being imperfect to perfect, mortal to immortal, from death to glorification. But if we are going to be glorified when we meet him, it has to be preceded by walking in holiness, remaining steadfast, keeping faith. Let's do so. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.